Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight on the Abstract Podcast. Um, Colin, how are you today, man? Hey, I'm good. It's a quarantined Easter, but it's a good day. How about yeah. you? Doing well, doing well. We just watched our church's live stream video for Easter Sunday, and I'm sitting here in my room, and it's actually just started raining, but it's green outside, and it's Easter, so doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's no, a good morning. I'm getting ready to go eat brunch after this is over. I hear that. So, yeah, this week was really fun. Um, Yeah. I know I enjoyed my conversations. I got to call um, a guy named uh, Matt Smooker, who lives in Houston, Texas, and Jeff Chupp, who is a friend out in Phoenix, Arizona. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was fun. Just got to have kind of a nice conversation with each of them. I might actually never met Matt before, but I did know Jeff fairly well. And so, yeah, Jeff is in – He's in the medical field. He's a nurse. And Matt actually works for NASA in Houston, Texas. So that was a really wow. cool conversation. Um, I know yeah. you talked to Rich and Maria. What were those like? Yeah, that was great. I, I really just enjoyed hearing what uh, experience is because Maria is from Thailand and Rich is from New York City. Mm-hmm. So uh, two places that I do not have a good um, any point of reference. So it was really interesting hearing what their experience is like and how they're coping with it. And uh, just really, it was just really good to connect with, with people. And even, especially in a time when you don't see many people already, um, it was great to see friends from afar. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of kind of silver linings to our current situation with this virus and everything, but one has been that it's forced us to kind of take our show in another direction where we, yeah. instead of like focusing on on campus at Tacoma Falls College guests, we're kind of moving towards Zoom calls, and that really opens up your world to anyone. And so last week we did the local guests, and then this week we mm-hmm. did the ones from far away, and yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, yeah, and it's just a, it's been cool in a way to, yeah, like you said, connect to a, a broader audience um, or a broader, broader range of guests and friends, and yeah, just we all get to, we're all just curious about what life is like for all kinds of different people at this point. Yeah, you know, one thing I was struck with um, this week in talking to to the different guests and just kind of being a spectator in this, this time is that this virus is, is so different for everyone. Like it depends on who you are and where you live that it it just, you experience, yeah, yeah. Like reality is just different for you. And so I know like, like this thing has drastically changed Jeff's life out in um, Phoenix. Yeah. Just because of like the way he's a nurse um, and then, like, I'm sure Rich talks about that in your conversation with him mm-hmm. in New York City. But then for people like me and you, I mean, we're trying to take precautions, be smart, stay home, stay um, socially distanced. But, like, I wouldn't say my life has been drastically impacted other than the ways that I've chosen to. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. Yeah, like, I mean, the responsibilities haven't changed, I don't think, for either one of us um, very significantly. It's just you spend different times in different places. You have to adjust your, your um, daily routines and things like that. But that's, that's really yeah. as far as it's changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's always interesting to see um, social media interactions and, and what people mm-hmm. think is real and not real. Um, yeah. I think we talked about this at a, a previous time, but you know, one evidence of this different impact is just, I have Twitter and Facebook. That's kind of the social media that I use. 
And we talked about how our Twitter is drastically different than our Facebook because our Facebook is mostly local, like spatially close, you know, community people. And our Twitter is the people that we follow that, you know, public figures who are living all over the place. And just like the perspectives are entirely different. And I think yeah. that that bears witness to the fact that depending on who you are, your belief system and where you're located, that you're seeing these things a lot differently. Yeah, for sure. I think the whole, um, I think some epistemological studies will be very interesting studying about how we know mm. stuff, um, yeah. how people know stuff, Yeah. Um, especially with cool. how we interpret the, the times, times that we're in. Before we get into our episode, uh, you said you had like a, a short Easter reading you wanted to do. So yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. We're just, we're releasing this um, podcast on Easter day. Um, and so just a little something as, as um, Rich, Rich ends and, and a lot of the guests do this as well, but Rich ends with a very pastoral sense about him, um, just about how we should respond and how we should live uh, specifically as the people of God in the time of the coronavirus. So this is one more just um, to quote from one of my favorite theologians, N.T. Wright, and he says, the re resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom has really been launched on earth as it is in heaven. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Christ and that you are now invited to belong to it. Um, and I just think of this time when it, uh, yeah, it just, the, 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 the opportunities for the people of God to live into the kingdom of God um, in these days to continue to bring um, heaven on earth as Jesus launched uh, a long time ago. So it's a really special day and a special time to be alive, I think. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's right. I also wanted to mention that um, the Abstract Podcast now has a Facebook page as well as an Instagram page. So if you're a listener and you want to make sure to catch our shows, definitely go and like those. Um, that's where we'll be posting stuff for you to see. And we also do some contests. Um, this week we gave away a loaf of bread from our sponsor, Hirschberger's Bakery. And um, a friend named Yolanda Troyer won that. And so, yeah, if you keep your eye out, you might, you might win something, but you'll for sure be able to see our shows. So like, yeah. subscribe, and you can find us there. Yeah, and hey, go ahead and uh, if you want to, leave a review wherever you get your podcast at. And uh, that would be helpful for us as we continue to go forward and kind of try to keep developing a, um, a thoughtful podcast. Yep. All right. Hope you guys enjoy this week's conversation. Episode 8, Part 2 of Stories in Coronavirus. There we go. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing, man? Doing well. How are you? Good. So just to start off, um, tell me a little bit about um, just who you are and I guess like your family and where you're at. And then I want to hear what exactly it is you're doing for work right now. Sure. Um, my wife, Trisha, and I, uh, we have three young kids. Um, the oldest is five, Della. And then we have a three and a half year old son, Max. And then uh, the youngest, uh, her name is Rosalind, and she just turned two last week. Nice. nice. Uh, and uh, my wife is a, a teacher. She works at Garfield Elementary, uh, downtown Phoenix. And currently she's the 
uh, media clerk, so sort of a librarian technology role. And she's also helping out with the third grade team. And so she has uh, been doing some e-learning instruction, um, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, haven't we all, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And uh, and then Della is in kindergarten, so she's been having to do uh, some e-learning as well. Uh, but I I work. I'm a nurse, and I work in a an assisted living facility. Um, I get to manage a. It's about 140 beds, so about 140 residents we have. Um, okay. There. So cool, yes, man. so I'm, yeah, that's what I've been doing with my time these last few weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I wanted to have you on the show for several reasons. One is because you live in Phoenix, and um, that's all the way across the country for me. But I was really interested to hear your perspective as someone who's in who's in the medical field. So um, like what level what level of impact is this having on the city of Phoenix, and on like on your job and where you guys are at? Like, what's it looking like these days? Sure. So Phoenix as a whole, um, I, I, it's probably fairly similar to the rest of the country. Everything's pretty much shut down. Um, it took a little while to for the governor to clearly define everything, but you know, no restaurants and bars. Obviously, um, it's pretty much just the essentials um, that are open. Not a whole lot of traffic on the streets. It's pretty quiet. Um, so, from a healthcare point of view, I, I've spoken with a few nurses and doctors that work in emergency departments and in the ICUs here. Um, so we have a few residents that have, you know, gone out for non-coronavirus related things, and they haven't been really slammed. Um, they're pretty full in ICUs, and they've had to designate certain floors as COVID-19 floors, that sort of thing. But I don't think we're seeing the, the shortage of ICU beds, ventilators, that sort of thing that um, that places like Detroit and New York City are, are facing. So it's, sure. it's um, definitely hit uh, as far as the assisted living, long-term care, um, nursing home settings, those, those have been hit pretty hard as far as um, just having to shut everything down with no visitors and getting creative with different providers coming in, making sure that the residents are being taken care of. But um, just limiting everybody that's coming into the building. I think that's nationwide. Everyone's been doing that to varying degrees. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we haven't seen a real shot, uh, real staff shortage. Um, everybody's showing up to work for the most part. There's a few folks that have decided to, they'd rather not work in healthcare <laughs> at this yeah. point, but, but overall, yeah, things are running as smoothly as they can. And um, yeah, we're just trying to keep, keep everyone going and happy and, yeah, make sure they're protected. Sure. What about just like the city of Phoenix overall? What what's kind of the vibe in the, in the city? <laughs> I think it's it's split a bit. Uh, there's a lot of people still that don't think the virus is as serious as, I mean, you name it, the media, the government, whatever is making it out to be. So um, there are people that are still going to the grocery store with their kids and not wearing face masks in public and, uh, still people that are, you know, trying to go to the parks and not following any social distancing guidelines. And then there's a lot of people on the other end of the spectrum that are, um, extremely worried about it and, um, are doing everything they can to just stay away from humanity. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I think I think Phoenix overall, just from what I've seen, is yeah, I think as a whole, Phoenix is taking it pretty seriously, and uh, it's it's staying fairly quiet around here. There's there's a few more cars on the road than than what I I would like to see or what you know I think should be, but yeah, yeah. overall, it, if that answers your question, are there as as being someone who works in like the medical field, are there certain mm-hmm. things you see in public that just make you cringe or, or anything you, you wish we would be doing that we're not able to do? Yeah, I, I think, and I think it's just, you know, COVID-19 or no COVID-19, just seeing people at the grocery store uh, wiping the nose with the back of their hand and then uh, <laughs> placing it back on the card or grabbing a, a few apples from the stand that sure. I think regardless of a pandemic, those are all things that, <laughs> that bother me and I know some of my other healthcare worker friends. I think the the biggest thing that would that bothers me, not just as a healthcare worker, but as a, a human being, is just misinformation that's being spread either on yeah. social media or just in, you know, as, as talking to people in person, the things that they're they're saying. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um just just to complete um, diversity of perspective that that I've been hearing from this thing from um, my Facebook friends, my Twitter friends, the people you talk to, how bad this is. People have just completely different perspectives on this, and yeah, that's kind of why I was interested to hear kind of what it's looking like on the other side of the country. And and obviously, it, it depends a lot about what circles you're in and what yeah. friends you're talking to. <laughs> um, what's this looking like for your family? You talked a little bit about that, but you guys able to you know stay sane or what are you guys up to <laughs> um i think my wife is bearing the brunt of it uh staying at home uh it she's pretty incredible she has to to balance um taking care of th- three kids five and under and then you know doing all the e-learning that she has to you know she has to create content or, or put things out or grade things and be in zoom meetings with other staff members from the school, um, it's, it's really difficult. It really is to be productive and to stay focused and then just to find things to do. She's, <laughs> uh, she's been doing an incredible job just coming up with activities for the kids to do. We yeah. try to get out and do a family walk um, in the evenings just around the block in our neighborhood um, when I get home from work and or we'll just go for a drive uh, just to get out of the house. Uh, Max, the other the other day was when we went for a drive. He's like, let's go in there. I just want to go in somewhere. <laughs> and I think Trisha posted something to the same effect today that, uh, yeah, the kids just want to, they want to get out and see their friends and uh, the church family that we have. So that's been, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been tough, but um, at the same time, we're just thankful that we're, we still have paychecks coming in and we're still able to, you know, yeah. support, support people that aren't. So. Sure. Uh, maybe in the city or even in like your local church community, have you noticed any, any good work being done? Um, people who are taking initiative and being community oriented in, in a time like this? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I could, I could talk about that. Just that for an hour. Um, just some highlights. I think uh, we're really connected with aim right ministries, uh, downtown Phoenix, and they've just gone above and beyond to make sure that, um, whatever resources they have available, like food, uh, mostly food and supplies that they get it out to families that need it. They do um, a 
uh, mobile pantry on site that has become vital to the community. And then the church we attend, it's called Open Door Fellowship. It's a little little farther north of downtown, um, but they also have a food bank that they've been running and have the, the amount of people that it, they've served has quadrupled in the last weeks as people need these things. And then just seeing um, on different neighborhood Facebook groups, um, everyone kind of rallying around those that are most vulnerable that can't get out of their houses. Yeah, sure. You know, some elderly, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's just uh, on and on. Pe- I've seen seen people just saying, how can I help? And then people responding with, you know, here's, here's my neighbor. They need, they need toilet paper and, and some cereal and people just, yeah, being, being incredible human beings. It's really encouraging to see. Yeah. It's, it's interesting and tragic how um, some people are so disproportionately affected by things like this. They just, they simply don't have the resources to sustain their normal life being upended. Absolutely. That has been one of the biggest things that that I've noticed and that I've been learning about is, um, you know, we, we do live in a, in an incredibly affluent country. We have, you know, say we're the richest country in the world, but it's, it's amazing how quickly, you know, most of us are, are living paycheck to paycheck. And when there's a, when that system is, you know, cut off or there's a, you know, something thrown in that, causes the the cogs to stop turning um, sure. and you you see people go without a paycheck or two it's it's devastating for them and so yeah it's it's really i think exposed a lot of flaws and weaknesses in in our current system which i'm sure it could be a whole nother conversation <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's, i think i think the good that's come come out of this and that we've seen is um people were more aware of of those that are vulnerable and um maybe people that are vulnerable that we didn't realize were uh, before this all began. So as we kind of wrap up here, um, I wanted to ask you, um, I think I think this time of coronavirus has all, has moved all of us into um, different spaces or different ways of being in the world. So just to you personally, and then maybe even on a more uh, national level, what do you think are things that we've experienced through coronavirus that um, will make reality look different on the other side, like the new normal that we're going to come out on the other side with? For you personally, is there anything that um, this has caused you to take note of, or nationally, that you think we're gonna we're gonna experience as new normal? Sure, that's such a great way to put it—a new way of, of being in the world. That's a that's a great question, Javen. I I honestly don't know. Um, I think that things have shifted far more than than what we realize and what I personally realize. Um, I think for me personally, new way of being in the world, man. Uh, I think I'm just being more acutely aware of of my impact on others um, on an interpersonal level. I think that's been huge because during this time, we can't physically be together, but um, I've been in, trying to be intentional and others have been intentional on reaching out and people that I normally don't hear from and people I normally don't reach out to, we've connected in some really really deep and meaningful ways. And that's something that won't leave me. I think that's um, probably one of the biggest things. And then just, you know, on a family level, uh, it's forced us as a family unit to just be so intentional with how we spend our time with each other and the things that we're doing. It seems like every minute and every hour we have to plan and <laughs> ration screen time and, and yeah. uh, just 
figure out how to be a family in, in this. I think it's been, I think we're coming out of it stronger um, on a national level. I don't know. I, I, you know, you could go a number of different ways and you go with economic systems. You could go with just an awareness of, um, of infection control and <laughs> uh, just, you know, good, hygiene and hand-washing procedures, I, you know, on a practical level, on, on a more meta level, I think um, we've all realized how interconnected we all are and how important sure. that is. Um, and I, I think that's a, I think, I, I think through all of this, no matter what, I think the, the relationships that we have, I think those are going to be the most affected as we, as we come out of it, whether that's on a personal level or as a, you know, a country to country level. Um, I think that's, I think that's what, um, I see shifting the most. Thanks, man. Uh, that's, that's a good perspective. Thanks so much for joining me. And, um, thanks for the good work you're doing. Um, trying to take care of people in your job. Hope you guys are able to, to, to last it out. <laughs> thanks, David. It's been, a, it's been great being on. All right, man. Take care. Well, we are here with Maria Mullet. Maria, it is so good to have you on. It is really good to be on here. And it is so it good to see good. you. Maria would have been my high school English teacher and um, co-worker for a couple uh -huh. years. So I haven't seen you in a long time. It's really good to see you and get to talk with you a little bit again. Same to you. I think it's been since your wedding. Really? Okay. So yeah, that has been, been almost two years. So yeah. Um, Maria, just briefly describe a little bit of where you're at, what you're doing. Um, give us a little context for, for what you're up to these days. All right, sure. Well, I'm living in the city of Hat Yai in the far southern region of Thailand. Um, not too far from the Malaysian border, to give you a little bit of a geographical idea down the long tail. Um, I'm working, I'm an English teacher, just like I was back in your high school days and in the days of um, working with you also, but teaching um, English as a second language now. Um, been helping, been working with a team that uh, we launched a, a small English center right, along, right beside a big university. And I also have a part-time job. I do some teaching, mostly like kind of English editing work at the university. Okay. So my life kind of revolves around around university students and and yeah, staff at Prince of Songkla University here in Haiyai. And your time, you're finishing up your time there, is that right? I am. Yeah, within the next couple of months. And the time frame is a little fuzzy right now because of just like everyone's time frame is fuzzy with with COVID. Right. So. Right. Yeah, let's go ahead. Let's Let's talk because we want to. I wanted to talk to you about um, the coronavirus. Is this common theme of disruption? I think for for most of humanity right now. That's uh, so true. And and you're halfway around the world from where we are. So I'm curious. What is what is life like in Hatiai right now? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because Thailand was one of the first countries to have COVID cases outside of China. 
but the numbers were very low for a long time mm -hmm. um, until it seemed like when things really heated up in America and in the West, I mean, just the West in general, Europe and, and the US, um, things really heated up here also. So um, we are not under lockdown per se, but pretty much everything non-essential in the country is closed. Uh, schools are closed, restaurants, you can only do carry out. I think it's kind of similar to, to the situation in a lot of the states. We have a curfew um, and at just at like 10 p.m., mm -hmm. 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. if you're caught outside, you could be arrested, I guess. Mm. Um, and if you go out for food, like if you go to a market or to a store, they're going to take your temperature. You have to wear a mask. Wow. Um, and yeah, it's, it's definitely the news on everybody's lips and it is, it has changed daily life completely, um, yeah. around. So how has it changed your life specifically? Um, like everything is different. Um, I used to kind of like fly in and out of the house from one thing to the next and I'm at home all the time. Mm. So all of my work has gone online. My relationships have gone online. Um, there's been some real sad things about it for me with like university announced one day that they're closing the next day. And so many of my students left without me getting to say goodbye to them. Um, there's just, it feels like a really abrupt ending um, to this season. That's been really sad for me. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, we were thinking about that because, yeah, even just being with some of your friends and things like that to, to bring some closure to your time there. Um, yeah. What that's going to look like now. It's, it's going to look quite different from what I would wish it would look like. Yeah. Um, grateful for electronic means, but it's yeah, not a real replacement sure. completely. For sure. Um, so thinking about the, the city of Hot Yai and even Thailand in, in, uh, in a larger sense, like what do you see as, uh, what is the good work being done? Um, in what ways have you seen uh, goodness shown by the people of Thailand during this time? Because sometimes it can, it can reveal the worst in people having pandemics like this, but it can also reveal some, some really selfless and sacrificial um, mm -hmm. means? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that question. Um, I think that's a really good thing. Just yesterday, one of our neighbors brought us um, face masks and alcohol gel, <laughs> which are like the two greatest acts of love, yeah. <laughs> especially in, in Asian culture, because face masks, face masks are a really big deal here. Like, mm -hmm. if you go out without one, you will you will be looked at, be looked upon pretty poorly. And they're really hard to find. So the neighbor bringing us face masks and alcohol gel felt like, wow, they're really giving us, giving us a big, um, yeah, a lot of love. Um, I felt a lot of care and concern from my friends, um, like how my family is doing in America and things like that. There's I see, I see that the good work, you know, of those kind of things happening. Um, there's also a lot of, um, most of my friends here are a uh, Buddhist background. Mm -hmm. Um, like they would kind of come out of that worldview, which is 
a very merit-based worldview. Um, and so there's a lot of good works happening. Mm -hmm. You know, like the, the School of Pharmacy where I work on campus, they're making face shields for, every, for the pharmacists and um, passing out food in poor schools, things like that. Something that's been interesting for me, I feel like, I feel like the good work of the body of Christ, um, like I've, I've kind of seen that like from a merit-based worldview, there's not very much care for your soul, for the soul of the other person, you sure. know? It's a lot of like giving, you know, gener generous giving for um, like their physical well-being but it's actually been a tremendous opportunity for me as a Jesus follower to like step in and care for people at an emotional and spiritual level. Cause that is a real gap here. Sure. And, and that is something as, as a, like I was just hearing the other day about the, the rise um, in the, in the difficulty in mental health, staying yes. emotionally healthy during this time. Yes. It's, it's, it's very difficult. And uh, especially if you're isolated and alone yeah. and you don't have support structures in place, it's very difficult. So that's great that that gap's getting filled um, a little bit. What is the overall, um, the vibe, I guess, of, of Thailand? Because here in America, especially here in the South, um, there can be, there's, there's very mixed reactions to the virus. There's, there's a very serious tone is talked about, and then there's very uh, a hoax tone. In, in yeah. the way it's talked about what's that like is that is that is it like that in thailand no there's there's really no talk of this being a hoax here. okay um i i picked that up on facebook yeah um from um my friends in america um kind of the what side are you on a little bit um i would say from the beginning um asians have been pretty afraid of this okay um and there, there's more or less a feeling of kind of settling in for the long haul mm. um, here. And yeah, it's interesting, like even there's not strong government, like it's not like the government is saying you must stay home, but everybody's staying home. Okay. Uh, I mean, for the most part, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not being followed 100%. But I think I, I don't think there's too much, there's not very much of that, that other kind of polarizing ideas right. of the virus here. I don't hear that as much. Okay, that's interesting. Do you have any ideas why that is? Huh. I don't know. There is, maybe some of it is um, culturally, like um, there's, there's a very high view of leadership here. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, if you have made, if you have made yourself to the, to a position of leadership, um, people don't really speak out against you. Um, and, or not, not as much, even if they, they don't agree. Sure. Um, it's actually illegal to speak against, against the Royal family. Um, so I think probably there's some of that. Maybe people, um, follow the government a little bit more. It's part of their culture. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, what do you think the level and the level of impact that this virus is going to have in shaping the future there in Thailand? I just don't know because yeah. Thailand is so based on tourism. 
um, especially certain areas. I don't live in a tourist destination at all. There's not a lot of tourism right here in my city, but um, like, yeah. And it's been known as, they used to call it Teflon Thailand because Teflon's like really like, you know, very enduring and, and whatever. It's like, well, Thailand's not gonna fall off economically because it's a big tourist destination. But, you know, international travel might look different for a little while. Yeah. Um, so I, there's a lot of fear about that. There's definitely a lot of fear about the economic ramifications here. Um, yeah. I fear a little bit. I think one of the things that, that feels funny here is this is such a communal culture. And now, like, everyone's, like, a little bit afraid of each other. Yeah. You know? And I wonder how long that lasts. And that's something I've been thinking about a lot. Like, wow, there's just a lot of distrust, mm -hmm. you know, with people. And what could that mean culturally? Um, so, yeah. I don't know what it will look like. I wonder. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you because you, you wonder, like, once it's appropriate for us to gather together, um, you know, is the level of concern about you know how we transmit uh, germs and, and things like that is that going to become a, a a block to to being together quite as much or to being yeah. as as relaxed around each other? I hope not. I don't. I don't think it will in a lot of cases, but we'll see what happens. It's who knows. Um, okay, last question for you. How are you staying sane during this time? Oh. You spend a lot of time at the house. I mean, all of us are just at the house. You just run out of stuff to do sometimes. And, uh, it's difficult to to maintain a good level of emotional and mental health during this time sometimes. Uh, I think I did really well for the first two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and then week three hit. Yep. Um, no, like some big things for me have been routine. Mm -hmm. Like um, one of my friends says I must be 70 years old because I like this, but like, I try to like finish my work every day by like four o'clock and like work on a puzzle or do something like kind of enjoyable for a little bit. Um, exercise has been really big for me. I hear a lot of people saying that and that's really true. No, just yesterday they said that we're not allowed to run outside anymore. Oh man. Um, so apparently like there's some new research that's saying that it could be like transmitted off of you um, for a certain, you know, amount of meters. And so if you're caught on campus running, like they closed down all the places where you run, but people were still like kind of running around the sidewalks. Now they could like say, you know, kick you off a of campus or something. Wow. Um, so trying to find some things I can just do in the house a little more. Um, cooking has been fun <laughs> mm -hmm. and playing online. I don't know, trying to like keep keep in touch with people. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would say routine yeah. and exercise have been the big things for me. Yeah. Have you felt like you've learned something through this about yourself? Yeah. You know, I've been learning a lot lately about hustle and like my, my um, tendency to hustle. And you know what? I can even hustle in this situation. Mm-hmm. Like that has been like really eye-opening to me that like. And by hustle, yeah. you're talking like 
a hurried state of being. Yeah. Yeah. Like fill my schedule so full that I don't have like um, margin for, you know, just, just slowing down my soul kind of thing. And I mean, I am in the prime situation for more solitude and for mm -hmm. more whatever. And I still have to fight hustle. Like that's been, that's been like, kind of a, a, a bell in my head. Um, but yeah. Sure. And you know, the other thing I think I'm finding out about, I am very extroverted. I'm very fueled by people. I think I would have, I would have thought this looks like an impossible situation for me to actually be okay in, mm -hmm. but I'm okay. You know, my spirit is okay. Yeah. My emotions are a train wreck sometimes, yeah. <laughs> but my spirit is okay. And yeah, that's been, that's been cool to see. Yeah, that's great. Well, it's so good hearing from you. And we're really grateful you took the time to, to give us a call from halfway around the world. It's really cool to hear a perspective from, from that far away. The episode we're doing, we're trying to get voices of friends we know from, from all around the country and world. And so it's, it's super interesting hearing all the perspectives. So thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. My privilege. And I hope you My have pleasure. a, yeah, I hope you have a great evening too. Uh, I'll, well, it's you. weird cause I'm, it's morning here for me, but I, I hope know. you have a great evening. I know it's exactly opposite. <laughs> okay. Well, so thanks, I hope Maria. you have a great day. <laughs> thank you. Same to you. Matt, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, join a Zoom call. You're welcome. As we were just talking about a couple minutes before there, we've never actually met in person, just kind of seen you on social media and uh, mutual friend conversation kind of thing. So tell me a bit about uh, what it is you're doing right now and where you're living. All right. So Right now, I live in Houston, Texas. I work for NASA on what's called the Lunar Gateway, which is going to be like a semi-manned space station around the moon. The that direction- is, That is so cool. <laughs> yes. I, uh, I was telling people when I got the job that I was over the moon, li literally not yet figuratively, <laughs> or vice versa, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I moved here about two months ago. Uh, and before that, I spent seven years working for the Navy uh, submarine community. Right on, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're you're living in Houston and working for NASA. And just like real quick, like what I mean, you said what you're doing, but like, what are you guys? What is it? Uh, what is what? Like, what is it that you're working on? Like, are you in engineering or? Right. So I am in what they call systems engineering, which is kind of all the upfront planning you have to do for something like this to make sure, you know, what are, what is it supposed to do? What are all the requirements, you know, take power, for example, do we have, everyone needs some amount of power. Do we have enough power? Are the solar panels going to give us enough so that everyone gets the electricity that they need for one sure. small example. That's and really so cool. it's, 
lots of meetings going through lots of incredibly boring stuff sometimes, but yeah, <laughs> I love it. So um, I'm curious, um, in Houston, Texas, what has the coronavirus done to your just like daily life? What's kind of the vibe in Houston? And are you still going to work? Short answer, no, I haven't been to work, quote. Um, I, I think this is my fourth week of teleworking. Okay. Um, the job I have is very, you know, telework conducive. Um, it's all email, phone, Skype. Um, and so, yeah, four weeks ago, NASA went to kind of this level three shutdown where essential personnel only, um, which basically means the guys who are handling day-to-day -day business for the International Space Station, uh, but all the rest of us are teleworking. Gotcha. Uh, and so it's, it's a little hard to say kind of what the rest of Houston is like when you're not getting out a whole lot. <laughs> sure. Uh, but like, you know, the schools are closed at least through like mid-May. I know that NASA is not reopening as long as the schools don't. So, yeah. yeah. So I was curious to ask you, um, kind of from a political perspective, um, in, in your estimation, what has the coronavirus done to the political landscape? And then also as we look at, we're in the middle of a presidential race. What has it done to that? So the political landscape, I mean, just very big picture, um, just to use two politicians as sort of a, you know, shorthand for broader movements, uh, we're gonna go more towards Trump and more towards Bernie Sanders. Um, and, you know, I expect things like border walls to be a lot more popular. Um, I also expect things like uh, paid sick leave and Medicare for all or something like it to be a lot more popular in the wake of this as well. Um, in terms of the presidential race though, that's where, I mean, this isn't the greatest answer, but that's where this gets wildly unpredictable. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so the example I like to use, you know, I first heard a few people on Twitter talking about this virus coming out of China um, about three months ago. And at that point, there was some talk about, okay, how does this affect the presidential race? Um, but what no one anticipated was the follow-on effect of all the job losses. And realistically, between now and November, the virus is going to have follow-on effects, which have follow-on effects, which are probably at least as big as the virus itself. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so it's really hard to say kind of what those, you know, are people going to be on the street, starving, going bankrupt? Um, you know, is China going to take this as an opportunity to make a play for Taiwan and the South China Sea? Um, you know, could a, could Biden or Trump get the virus and be incapacitated or, <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, Cause they're both over 70. <laughs> right. Um, you know, all of which could go in, make things go in very different directions, but all of which are hard, very hard to say at this point. One thing I'm curious about, you talked about kind of the job loss and the, um, the effects this, this is having on economies around the world, but talking about in the U.S., we know that like one of Trump's main platforms that he runs on is business. Like if business is good in the U.S., that's good, good on Trump. What do you think this does? Is everybody losing their job? But then there's also Trump is, you know, pushing through this stimulus bill. 
which might also be giving us paychecks. How do you think this plays out for him, for voters? Um, if Sanders was the nominee, I think Trump would be getting slaughtered. Mm. Um, and why is that? Well, because as you just said, I mean, he's very much run on good economy, jobs, 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 um, rising wages, the whole nine yards. And, you know, right now we're at the highest unemployment, I believe, since the Great Depression. Um, and, but right, wrong, or indifferent, I mean, it's Joe Biden and Trump is going to wipe the floor with Joe Biden. Yeah. I mean, not, to it, not to put it bluntly, but there it is. So you think you think it's it's pretty a pretty certain Trump victory for the for this presidential election? Uh, assuming that neither one of them gets the coronavirus, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which uh, which could very well very well happen. Um, have you have you been looking at anything as far as um, Houston projections or when when the peak is supposed to be hitting Houston? Um, I mean that's. I've been watching the stats. Houston to date, I think, has had uh, about three or four thousand cases um, and thirty or forty deaths. So it's not like it's New York here or anything. Um, I do know. So the governor today basically said that they're planning to put out guidelines in the next few weeks as to when and how things can start to reopen. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. There's a thousand and one different projections as to what the peak, uh, what it looks like and when it might be. And I don't think anybody has any real idea at this point. And th this next question is certainly broad, but um, I I'm on Facebook a lot and probably more than I should be, honestly. I see, I see so many people um, talking about, you know, laying, laying the blame at different, at different places and I'm just curious to hear your take. Like there's, there's a lot of people who outrightly blame China either for creating the virus intentionally and releasing it on us or just for not sharing their data. And I've also seen things about how this is, you know, just a government, a government test to try to gain, you know, manipulation over the people or it's a deep state move. Um, any thoughts there? Um, so I could I could believe that this was something that was in a bio you know like a bio lab, so there there's I think it's a level four bio whatever the highest level of bio lab that you can have, there is one of those in Wuhan in China and so and it's actually like a few hundred feet from that wet market that we've heard so much about, right? So I could believe that this was like an accidental release. Um, there are known cases of this happening before. Um, I don't generally believe that there's any sort of conspiracy, but at the same time, I forget who, someone in history said, never let a good crisis go to waste. <laughs> um, and I think there is a lot of jockeying to not let this crisis go to waste. And as long as we're in this crisis, can we advance this, that, or the other thing? Yeah. yeah um, and so I don't, necessarily see a deep state conspiracy, but I'm sure there are, you know, 
I was a federal employee for seven years. I'm sure there are people who are trying to advance their own agenda that way. Yeah. So um, we've been in this thing for a while. And I think we're all hoping that we get back to some sort of normal here in a few weeks, months, at some point. Um, but I, I think if we're realistic, we realize that normal on the other side of this is probably not going to look exactly like normal when we went into it. What are some ways you think maybe reality is going to be shifted when we get uh, when we get through coronavirus or at least the first wave? I've heard a lot of difficult questions in my day. That one's pretty close to the top. <laughs> I guess I guess what I'm asking is, do you think that the like this virus is gonna is gonna make things a lot different in any specific capacity than they were, you know, back when back in the good old days a few months ago when we were rocking on? Right. Um, I think so. Um, I had said something on Facebook last month that, you know, in some ways things are just going to be almost unrecognizable on the far side of this. Um, but it kind of gets to that thing I was talking about with respect to the presidential race where, you know, the, the virus caused everyone to stay home, which caused huge job losses, which, you know, it, it's so hard to, it's impossible really to predict kind of what are these, all these follow on effects going to look like. Um, so what is, what does it look like on the far side? Um, first question is when is the far side? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, if our last big national crisis started in 1929, it was 16 years to the far side of that. Um, and depending on how things play out, I think it, I mean, I think it easily could be, it wouldn't be the virus the whole time, but I think it easily could be five or 10 years until we are at some kind of new goal. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Not, not a very bright one, but I think certainly plausible. And I mean, part of it too is like, I, I would expect on the far side of this that Wall Street will have been maybe politically decimated. Um, cause you know, twice in 10 or 12 years now, they've made a lot of very bad decisions and gone to the government for a bailout. Um, and meanwhile, everyone else gets to suffer. And consequently, I think one of the things I, I will say almost for sure for the far side of this is that, uh, there's going to be an awful lot of sort of trust busting, sort of your Teddy Roosevelt style of, uh, going after large corporations, I think. Mm. Both of us are um, actually engaged right now and trying to plan weddings. So I, yeah, you, you brought this up and it's been a really crazy time. What does this look like for you guys? And when are you planning to get married? So uh, three months ago, the plan was to uh, get married on June 14th. Uh, in Oregon, which is where we're both from, and have, you know, invite like 300 some people. And 300 some people was for sure out the window. Um, and so I'm actually flying to Oregon tomorrow because NASA agreed to let me telework uh, for the duration of this since everyone's teleworking. Wow. Um, and so now we're talking about, okay, if it's just going to be this tiny thing anyway, you know, do we really want to just wait till 
June 14th, but then there's all these different things of like, okay, you know, we've got people that we would still want to be there, like her sister who lives in Ohio and my best friend who lives in Pennsylvania, like, and then there's just all these competing things as well as you don't want to pull the trigger if there's, and then get to June and discover, oh, we could have actually done this. Yeah, man, that's, we're in the exact same boat. Ours is actually May 16th. And so, yeah, just, yeah, I know it's, ah, we just, we tell people we're going to be getting married on May 16th. So I don't know if there's going to be any witnesses to this matrimony or not, but we're going to be getting married. But yeah, we've talked about, well, I mean, why wait if there's going to be no one there, but then it's like, you don't want to throw all hope out the window. You want to, you want to give yourself a shot because you would hate to get to that day and, and it'd be okay. I mean, because what we've basically spent the last month doing too is going, you know, okay, you know, by this date, we'll see what it's like and make a decision. Yeah. And then we get to that date and, well, do we want to wait another week to make a decision? And yep. I, I think you can identify with that. For sure. Uh, and I mean, her, uh, her brother-in-law is a videographer. And so we probably would at least, you know, live stream it for the world to see um, and witness. But uh, I've, I told her last night that I'd become intimately acquainted with square one. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's a crazy time to be trying to plan anything. And I think uh, a wedding, a wedding, most of all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, hey, man. Thanks so much for, for coming on. And um, I didn't know you were flying tomorrow, but I hope you have a great flight out to Oregon. Hope everything Thanks. rolls smooth. I bet, I bet it's going to be crazy being in airports, probably deserted. My first flight tomorrow, I might be the only person on it. Really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> were you able to find really good deals on the tickets? I, I use miles, but yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. All right. Well, thanks. All right, Matt. Yep. Have a good trip, man. And I uh, appreciate you being on. We're here with Rich Schwartz. He is a good friend from New York City. And uh, Rich, we just wanted to contact you and really just want to hear um, how you're doing. But first, before we do that, go ahead and uh, just say a couple words about yourself, what you do there in New York City, um, a little bit about your family, uh, and then we'll kind of get into what your situation is like. Sure. So hi, everyone. My name is Rich Schwartz and married to my beautiful wife, Sandy. We've been married for about 22 uh, years, 21 years. Uh, we have six children. We live in the Bronx. Um, I am a pastor and an independent insurance adjuster. So a bivocational pastor. Um, our church in the Bronx is Believers in Jesus Church. Uh, we've been in existence for only about a year and a half. Um, so that's the short version. You can come over uh, if you want a longer version. That's awesome. Um, as mo most people who are hearing this know, New York City is considered the, the hotbed of the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, what has it, what is the experience like living in New York City? Uh, would you take some time and just describe what your, con what the context is like that you're living in right now? Sure. Um, 
It's been a strange time. And, you know, I don't know, some of the things that have felt really strange to us, I don't think they're necessarily unique to New Yorkers. Um, one of the things that's been tough is the social distancing thing of needing to stay six feet apart from each other. And also in New York, as of uh, March, I'm thinking 16th, maybe it was March 20th, we had that New York on pause order from Governor Cuomo, which a lot of other states have. And that they have a ban on public gatherings of over 10. In New York City, they say any meeting of any kind, which is maybe a little bit extra. So that's been tough. Um, I mentioned to you before that the extroverts in our household, uh, we are primarily an extroverted family. So being home in that has been tough. Um, there's been some really good things that have happened too with it. One of them is um, kind of forcing to reconnect as a family. I think that's been good. And I have one neighbor who likes to text me, who knows, six, eight, 10 times a day. And sometimes we'll have an hour and a half text exchange. And that generally wasn't happening before this. <laughs> so there's been some opportunities uh, that have opened up that we hadn't had before. Um, yeah. In our area of the Bronx, we hear emergency vehicles much more than we used to. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking I could hear an emergency siren every two minutes, but I, that's an anecdotal statement that I have not verified empirically. Yeah, what is the the overall vibe or feel of the city right now? Um, I I think Sandy and I were talking about it a little bit. It's it has some similarities to what nine eleven felt like. Um, nine eleven after the towers went down, the first couple of days afterwards, you would walk down the street and neighbors were on their stoops and they would say hello and there was candles burning and it just felt like kind of the tough big city we can do this had softened and everybody was kind of down on a more human small town hey could i be your neighbor you know level and in a way we might have that a little bit more now the tough part is if it is there we're all a little bit cautious of how to really engage. <laughs> so you, you know, you'll yell at your neighbor across the street, hey, how are you doing? Is everything okay? We have food here. Could we give you food? And so, you know, it's you, you have this kind of space requirement. Um, but I think, you know, I've lived in New York 25 years, and out of 9-11, this is probably the unprecedented opportunity we've had to really engage in needs that maybe they weren't as of as aware of them before sure sure yeah and what's it been like for you even seeing the wider world react to it because you there are facing the extremities of it um i think that would be safe to say and and the rest of the world, like especially for where we are at, like we are not experiencing anywhere close to the level um, 
of the, the death or the sickness um, or even the quarantine that, that you were facing there? What has it been like seeing the world react to some of that? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of fear and that's probably one of my bigger concerns. Um, our two oldest children, Brianna and Avery, both work at Dunkin' Donuts, and it's primarily a Bengali uh, worker um, group in those seven. They're, they're all owned by, there's seven Dunkin' Donuts owned by one uh, guy. And out of 80 workers prior to this crisis, they're down to less than 10. And most of them are just too afraid to come out of the house. So I think that's kind of translated, not just in New York, I think there's fear all over. And so while we have this, I think you could say unprecedented opportunity to show love, we also have these just barrages of fear, like wave upon wave of fear that we have to combat. <laughs> and it's palpable, it's like real. Yeah. What switching tunes a little bit i've just been from keeping up with you on on social media what your family's been involved in during this time like what are the good things that are being done in the city at this time uh, i've seen things your family have been doing and other churches have been doing um could you talk a little bit about what what ways people are joining in um to take care of their neighbors yeah um i well i've seen it some in our church group and some in our friends in Brooklyn and other parts of the city. Um, people are asking their neighbors if they're all right, um, texting, calling, ringing doorbells. Uh, I've seen um, notices on Facebook of friends who made cookies and dropped them off with little notes, put them on the door. Um, quarantine caroling. <laughs> Instead of Christmas caroling, they go quarantine caroling. And um, re most recently, in the last maybe week and a half, there's been uh, Anabaptist COVID-19 response is a group that's kind of come together with businesses and Plain Compassion and Kingdom Channels and Blessings of Hope. That's, I think, mostly based out of Lancaster. And they've been sending up lunch boxes to healthcare workers and EMS workers in New York and also food boxes. 40-pound uh, boxes of food to distribute to people and to churches. Um, we've had some opportunity to be involved with that. And that's a real blessing. That, you know, I've never been involved on something of that scale. And it kind of ramped up with very motivated, compassionate, caring individuals, many of whom I don't even know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's great. And what do you see as the level of impact that, that this pandemic might have for shaping the future of New York City? Um, and even really, I mean, it's, it's a worldwide thing. It's not even isolated to a city or a country. Um, are there things that you think may shift um, in what it means to be a human or to be an American or just to be here um, as a result of this pandemic? Yeah. Um... I think especially the people who will end up coming out of this with family members and friends who have died, you know, they'll, they'll never be the same because of that. Um, Sandy and I were, I texted 
two former students this morning who their dad died this morning. He was on the ventilator for about a week. And um, I've known their mother for 20 plus years. I didn't know their dad very well. So, you know, this is, this shapes their lives. Every time they remember their dad's death, it was COVID-19. I think one of the things that we have to be uh, maybe uh, at least aware of, uh, discerning of, even before this happened, there was such a polarization of news sources and thought, you know, like, I believe this and you believe that, you're wrong, I'm right. And it just seems like the level of civility has gone down and the level of rancor and um, just hatred almost has increased on so many levels. So will we ever go back to, will we ever return to an age of relative civility? I think that's a real question. You know, we're divided into these rank brackets camps. Uh, you know, I think I heard an uh, advertisement on the radio yesterday, Broadway is on intermission, but we will be back as better, better than ever. So the world, I think, would like to say, we'll get over this and we'll be fine and we'll be better than ever. I think it's it's time for Christ followers to think, you know, to say, okay, what what can we learn from this? Maybe some things we need to change about our spending habits, about our saving, about how we give to people, about debt load. You know, there's a lot of things how we play with our neighbors ahead of time. I have a lot more of my neighbors' numbers this. Then I could have texted them and called them instead of trying to wonder what they're doing. Those are some things that um, I think about when I consider that question. Sure. And how are you personally, and even your family, how are you staying sane during this time? Because I think for a lot of us, um, like you mentioned earlier, the first two, even three weeks of quarantine, okay, it's all right, we'll get over it. But um, it does, it, it, you feel the grind um, anymore. And I imagine, especially in an area where you're at, and it can be tough to uh, stay emotionally and spiritually healthy. And uh, I'm just curious, what are what are practices or things you and your family have been doing to maintain a high level of health throughout this? Well, you know, maybe we haven't remained sane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't know. We're just talking here. Um, I have contemplated taking an emergency trip down and trading therapy sessions with Joe Mullet, uh, that might help my sanity. <laughs> there you go. Uh, now, one of the things is, for me at least, has been an increasing um, kind of a more regular routine of prayer at the church space. In the last four weeks, most days, most mornings, I go over to the church space for a half hour to an hour to pray and most days, at least one other brother joins me from a safe distance, and we zoom in another brother or two. There's four of us that participate in that. So that's been good. Um, I've been running more, uh, at least the month of March. Um, ran more, more miles in one month than I had before. Um, and I need to because I'm eating more. <laughs> <laughs> right. So eating too much these days. Um, we did... We did set 
I, I kind of made a family announcement on Sunday and said, guys, this might end up being a couple months yet. So let's just dig in for the long haul and let's start setting goals every week as a family. So I had my laptop there and each uh, me, Sandy and the six children each set goals. One of the goals by an unnamed uh, child was I will sleep in till noon every morning. Um, but I use my executive powers and knock that one. <laughs> that one. I would only love to guess who that was. Yeah, yeah. You'll have to uh, <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah, off the record. <laughs> uh, yeah. So those are some some ways to stay sane. Yeah, I wanted to end our our time together. Um, you're a pastor, and just you wrote something recently on your blog um, that I I thought was really good, and I thought had a. Uh, a pastoral sense about it and what you're calling the people of God towards. Um, and well, and first, before we get into that, like, what is your advice as a pastor, as far as like action steps that, that the church can take to, to, to love their neighbors um, during this time? What are ways that, that we can manifest that? Because it, it obviously we're having to rethink that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a question to ask ourselves in any uh, period or any season, but I think now, you know, look within. Uh, repentance and humility are important. Um, we need to care for our family members. Um, we should always do that, but I think now more than ever. Um, I've thought about even um, the church leaders. So um, especially within the Plain Anabaptist community, um, the leaders are bivocational. So if their job options go down, then they're more stressed. And then they're not as equipped to care for their family and for the church. So maybe even giving more attention to financially uh, help your church leaders. Um, and I think advocate for like a deacon board or somebody to care for the people in the church. Um, so, so many of us say, well, we don't, we don't need charity, but there's a family that lost a job and they can't pay their bills. Part of the mission of the church is to, to care to do good to all men, but especially into those of the household of faith. And really pray. God opens doors. We pray. He opens the doors and we walk in. Them. Sure. Yeah. And, and then that's good. And let's get into what you were writing um, on your blog in which you, you paralleled a parable of Jesus. Um, and, and you inserted different figures. I just encourage people to go read it. But what were you trying to communicate to people? through that blog and what would be your kind of charge to the people of God during this time? Um, well, I guess that, that parable probably came out of this quandary of understanding and knowing truth, especially when it comes to news. And I found myself being kind of pharisaical about it. Um, so in the, in the kind of modern day parable, there's two Pharisees and a publican and the one Pharisee basically says he knows what's going on because he's, he knows the experts. He believes all the mainstream media and he doesn't listen to the crazies on the far right or whatever. But then the other Pharisee takes the tactic to the other extreme and says nothing on the mainstream media is correct. And this is all a conspiracy. And thank God he knows what's right. And it seems like Christians can jump into one camp or the other and end up getting pharisaical and shoot arrows at each other when this crisis is not meant to do that. We're to rise up and love God and love others. 
So the publican says, dear God, please have mercy on me. Show me how to walk in truth. And I need you more now than I did before. So I pray I can be that more than this pharisaical polarized um, nature of what I've witnessed happen. And I actually have to admit, I've even experienced some of it myself. I have to confess it. Right. Yeah. And that's really good. And uh, yeah, I think that's a good, a good thing for us to hear too. And just to be aware of um, and to pray over and uh, to take, we have the time to, to take that solitude, to, to enter your prayer and bring those things before the Lord and see where we have, have gone wrong in those areas. So Rich, you'll be, you and your family will be in our thoughts and our prayers. Um, we wish you the best. Um, and yeah, we'll just, we'll, we're in our, our hearts and minds. Uh, we think of you often with, with where you're at and yeah, blessings as you go from here. Thank you very much for taking the time to be with me today. Good talking to you, Colin. Thank you. episode eight on the abstract podcast thanks for joining and we hope to see you again next week